Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. All right, uh, it's great to be with you today. Uh, this is the time in our service when we gather together as the people of God in this place, in this local church. And let's remember what we're doing. We live in a world where there's a stream of words, streams of ideas constantly <clears throat> bombarding us. And this is a time when we get to put ourselves in contact with the Word of God in community together. As the people of God, God speaks to us through His Word, a singular word to us through many authors, many books, metaphors and ways that he brings that together to us. But in his singular word, God speaks to us in a unique way as the people of God. And so there's a time in our service when we think on what is true, what is honorable, what is pure, what is lovely, commendable, and excellent. And the word of God is what brings us into contact with that. So as we tether ourselves back to the word of God, let's remember that's what we're doing. This is our opportunity in our week to bring ourselves back under the word of God. So I'm going to pray that God would do that work in our time together. God, I ask that you would work deeply through your words today, that for all who are joining online or in person, that your word would speak truly and authentically, that it would meet us where we are, that it would be understandable, that it would be compelling. God, that we would see how great and beautiful your words are as they reflect you. God, and I pray as this time together that we would be open your work in our hearts and our movement of our lives. We do this in a way that would honor and please you in your name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time, if you would. Go ahead and read our text for this morning from Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we'll hear the word of God briefly here, and then we'll get into our text and you can be seated at that point. Philippians chapter 4, verse 14, the very end end of the book. Paul writes, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Now that I seek the gift, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. may be seated. So back a little over uh, about 10 years ago or so, I was living in the Chicago area. And uh, I was doing some schooling at the time, had a few friends there in kind of a similar stage of life. And uh, Katie, my wife, was, was working hard. She was the one hustling for our family. She was teaching, and I was a full-time student. It was awesome, let me tell you. Um, so spend your days reading, studying, and uh, figuring that out, very fun. Uh, but during that phase of our life, we had a time where, you know, finances are pretty tight. So I don't know if you're in that place now or you can remember the days when you were in that situation, maybe as a student or starting off in your careers. And what you do in those occasions, right, is you, you look after like every penny that's like within reach or might be under the seat cushion or anything you can find. You got to know where, where all those funds are. 
And at this time, uh, you know, working hard at, at school and Katie working hard with her job, uh, you know, we really limited some of our kind of splurging enjoyment activities, really, really didn't go out a whole lot, that kind of thing. And so when those occasions came up to splurge or enjoy something a little extra, they were extra exciting for us. They were the things that kind of stick out in your mind. Well, <clears throat> one small occasion, believe it or not, was going out to eat with a buddy of mine. So two of us were working hard, spending all day in the library, doing things like that. And he's like, you know what, we should, we should go try one of these local Chicago cuisine places. Just go out for lunch and go and enjoy that uh, as just a break from all this work. So I'm thinking through it, thinking, yeah, I think I, think I got some discretionary income in there somewhere. We can, we can work this out. Uh, so let's head over there. So this buddy of mine who also uh, happened to be named Tim, uh, and I, we head over to, uh, I think on the next slide I have the name so I don't forget it, over to this little Chicago institution called Tori and Luke's, I guess, famous Italian beef sandwiches. So this is a hole in the wall, not a Michelin rated restaurant, so that you got it, okay? So we go there and the thing on the menu that's of most importance is their Italian beef sandwiches. Now, I don't know if you've, you've had these before, they're quite a delicacy. They're basically a Philly cheesesteak without the cheese, but don't tell anybody from Chicago that, but that, that's roughly what it is. So I, I stand in this line with my buddy and he's kind of going ahead of me in line and we basically order from the short order cook, you know, and, and we start uh, getting them there. There's the beef that they're, they're frying up with a little less grease than a Philly cheesesteak and they usually throw on some peppers and some onions on top and it's gonna be just one of those massive kind of sandwiches. So we're pretty, pretty excited about that. So we kind of make our, our way through the line. As we come to the end, he's in front and he hears the total and the, the lady asks him to pay and all of a sudden I see my buddy kind of going, looking around like, okay, where, where's, the, where's the money? Uh, you know, and it's kind of a weird thing if you've ever done that, you start reaching like where there should be pockets and then you're like, maybe it's in my elbow, like I don't know why anyone does that, but you start really thinking like, where, where's my wallet? And so I'm standing there and I'm thinking, you're kidding me, right? This guy's a bit of a character himself, so I'm definitely less funny, I'm more kind of the, the, the straight guy and he's the kind of more the joker. And in that conversation, uh, I'm thinking, okay, it was funny, there's a long line of, hang of angry Chicagoans behind us, let's, let's get this done now. He says, no, I think I forgot my wallet. You forgot your wallet? I mean, that's, that's not cool. Like, you know, things are tight. We're all like trying to find every dollar we can find here. Like, what, what are you going to do? I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I don't have my wallet with me. So I, so I have that moment where I'm standing there and I'm doing some quick math, right? You're going, all right, I think I know what's in my checking account at this point. I think I know the next bill that's coming due. What, how is this all going to quite work together? And I'm, and I'm not really pleased about being asked to front the lunch money for my buddy, if I'm entirely honest with you. I'm, I've thought through this really carefully. It's at that moment that the angry Chicagoans behind me, my buddy there in front of me, and us really wanting this Italian beef sandwich. I mean, it says they're famous, okay? They're famous. So we're really thinking about having this. I finally pull out my wallet, open it up, pull out the debit card, and say, okay, we'll, we'll see how this works. So in that moment, I understood the need that my friend was in. I knew exactly what needed to happen. And I did actually give money. I did, I paid for that lunch. Ended up doing it on a second occasion with him as well, actually, uh, sometime later. And then after that, he, I go first in line and he goes second in line is kind of how we worked that out going forward. But I gave to the need that was there. But it was the exact opposite of what Christian giving is described as. There was no love in my heart for my friend in this circumstance. I knew of a great need that was there, but I had zero interest in forking out my money for that. No generosity 
came from my heart in doing this. It felt entirely obligatory so we could have this Italian beef sandwich and get out of line and go through it. Nothing like what Christian giving is supposed to look like. And I was completely worried about the funds. Like I was thinking, I don't know what are potential implications of using extra money than I had originally thought through. Ah, my wife's gonna kill me as we go through those circumstances, right? I, have, I wasn't prepared to have my need met in any kind of confidence. So as I described for you just a silly circumstance of maybe just hunting down some food, and maybe you can resonate with that uh, as a circumstance where you're looking forward to something and then all the kind of enjoyment is robbed from you because of the circumstances of giving with a heart that's not happy about it. This is a simple story to contrast what Paul tells us about the Philippians and their giving spirit. So in our text today, we, we round out the end of our study of Philippians and we look at one key big idea for our text today. And it's the, this, and there it is. When we give, we are recognizing God's supplies to meet the needs of his church. When we give, we are recognizing God's supplies to meet the needs of his church. Christian giving is the means of recognition that God's riches are what are used to meet the church's needs. So in this text, we're going to see the theology of Christian giving and how God intends Christians to give to their church. And to go through that, we're going to look at three key questions to unpack to understand the theology of Christian giving. I think, uh, do we have the next layout there? Yep, There's, here's our three questions. So you kind of know where we're going in the text today. What types of things do Christians give to? That's in our first couple of verses. Then what are we doing when we give to these things? Like what's happening? What's the circumstances when we go through that? We see that in verses 17 and 18. And then finally, what are we recognizing or believing to be true when we actually do give to these things? So it's a pretty straightforward, practical text that we walk through today, but maybe you've thought about why do we give to church? Why do churches talk about giving? How does this relate to me as a Christian and how should I think about that? Even if you've been giving to the church for a long time, it's a good thing to rethink, orient yourself and think around what is happening in that. Or maybe it's something where you haven't really started to give to the church. And this would be an opportunity for you to think through um, that, uh, that responsibility and how to go about it. So let's jump into our first question, which is what types of things do Christians give to? We see this in verses 14 through 16. I think we have the text up there. Uh, what types of things do Christians give to? So in verse 14 is a very short verse, and it says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So one of the first things that Christians give to is those who are in trouble or affliction. So Paul is writing in this letter a, a word of thankfulness or gratefulness to the Philippians church in, in giving. They had gone so, some people are so noticeable of this intention of, of thankfulness that they almost boil the book of Philippians down to being like a thank you note. Like this gift is, is significant in the letter, but as we've seen over the last seven months, there's lots of other truths that are unpacked in this letter that Paul's conveying to them. But don't miss that one of the key reasons that he's writing this church is to thank them for their gift. Thank them for monetarily supporting the work that Paul was doing. So Paul starts to riff kind of a little bit on the Philippians and their generosity and what they went about and did. And so he gives some kind of handles to understand what types of things Christians should give to. One of those is, as we read from this verse, this idea of sharing with those in trouble. So an example of what Christians give to is to individuals in those circumstances, whether, whether that's uh, an action of individuals giving or actually the church together as a whole giving to those in trouble, that is part of what Christians are called to do. 
The word used here is sharing or having, having in common with. So it's at times translated as fellowship or participation with others. So when we give to people who are hurting, it's actually a tangible way of being with them, of sharing in the difficulties that they're experiencing. So we as a church, when we do that together for someone in need, whether it's a specific church or a specific individual in need, that is a way of showing our commonness and connection with them. So that's one of the easy, straightforward ways from this verse to see where we're to give. But there's a second opportunity or place where Christians should be giving, and we see this in verse 15. In these two verses, just the first part here, if we read, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. So Paul here speaks about another thing we should give to as Christians, and that's to be partners in the gospel advance. So he describes kind of the history here. After he left this church in Philippi, which is, is sort of in, uh, in kind of uh, what do you call the continental Greece, not so much on the peninsula part, but part of Greece. And that is the city specifically. And then kind of its province or area is Macedonia. So that's why you have that kind of listed in the verse. So it's kind of like Boston, Massachusetts. Oh, hey, I left Mass. I left Boston. You know, you could change your phrase how you choose to. That's kind of what Paul's doing with Macedonia there. He's still talking about when he left Philippi specifically. And he says that this church, historically, they were like the only key ones supporting him. They were coming alongside to partner with him. And there was giving and receiving taking place in the ministry. So when he, he describes this giving and receiving that they're doing, it, it's actually commercial language. Uh, we could even call it like debits and credits is really the concept of what he's conveying. So he says it's kind of like the Philippians and he kind of almost formed a joint account in some ways. They would keep kind of loading it up and Paul would keep drawing from it to keep the ministry going. Don't think we're talking about a formal account here in any ways, but it was that kind of partnership that the Philippians ongoing, ongoingly shared their money for Paul to continue his ministry. And it was significant for what he needed to accomplish. This ongoing mutuality and commitment to the gospel advance was part of the Philippians church's MO. They wanted to be known as a church who was behind Paul and part of that. And he recognizes that in their past. So kind of what this relationship looks like, just to kind of illustrate a little bit further. If you think about like a, a boat, if you've ever been water skiing or tubing, you get behind a speedboat or a pontoon, and that boat starts to take off, right? You see that rope kind of uncoil itself, and all of a sudden it starts going, and hopefully if the person has any idea what they're doing on the back end of that, they either get up on the tube, they get up on their water skis, and they start going. And as long as that boat keeps going, the pull continues pretty evenly, there's pretty good momentum, that person can stay up and have a pretty good ride. If at any point, and I don't recommend it. The driver cuts the engine suddenly. That person is probably going to be in trouble, right? The, the, the inertia, the engine that was pulling them forward suddenly stops. All of a sudden, that has an impact to the person behind them. That's sort of what is recognized with this understanding. The Philippians were part of that engine. They were part of the momentum to keep Paul moving forward in his missionary journey. If they let him go at any point on that, it would have had dire impact to how his ministry could continue to move forward. So we learn from this that the more ongoing personal relationship and stability of financial relationship, the tighter the partnership. The more you're behind someone and know them, the more that you keep up with giving and caring for that person over time, they're able to continue the gospel work on an ongoing basis. So as we as a church try to do that, we partner with people over longer periods of time. 
so that we can see that gospel advance slowly and methodically move forward. You can see that in some of the church plants that we work with as a family of churches. You can see that with some of the missionaries that we've worked with for long stretches of time. We're able to see that that work is relied on so that the, church, the churches in these areas and the ministry that's being done can be sustained and brought forward. He has one more example of things we give to just at the end of that. You see a, where it starts with the word even. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So we learn from this verse that they actually provided as well for the, those doing the ministry needs. That's what the Philippians were giving to. They were giving to Paul and his necessary needs to live, as well as sort of gospel advancing activity. So with those words, we read in the letters of Thessalonians that Paul also took out a, a day job. He did literal tent making when he was in Thessalonica, but the Philippians sent him money as well. So either that money kind of supplemented his income in some way, or maybe it got him started to get his tent business kind of up and running. Either way, he definitely was recognizing the Philippians' efforts to sustain him as doing the ministry work. So there's many causes and needs that are out there, but Paul commends the people of a local church for really putting their economic efforts and generosity at work through their local church. We can't miss that. When Paul talks about the Philippians, he's not talking about like two or three people in the church who decided to give some money to something. He talks about that church collectively pooling together their funds as a church and giving to the needs that were there. So think about what that looks like. A church of people, all individual families and, and individuals who are you know, acquiring their, their funds, and they're entrusting themselves to their elders to lead them. They're probably at times making deferential decisions on what the funds go to from time to time. And they're still incredibly active and invested in the giving of the church. And the people of, Phil of uh, Philippi knew what their money was going toward, and they continued to give and be active in the ministry there. So uh, I think we have one more slide there that kind of breaks it out. We'll go to the second one from there. So those are three things that the Philippian church gave to. But the second question we want to answer is what's happening or what are we doing when we are giving to these things that are mentioned? We get this in verses 17 and 18. So if you can put those verses there, you go. Great. Uh, so Paul writes, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So again, Paul is not seeking for a new gift or like really reprimanding the Philippians so that you get his tone here. He's telling them how awesome it is that they are giving. It is an incredible thing to, get, to be giving consistently and with a generous spirit to one's local church. When one is doing that, there's two things that are actually happening that gets Paul really excited for the Philippians and can be excited for us as well. The first one of these is from verse 17 that talks about getting, that I call getting a yield and sort of explaining that. So I think we have the next slide that kind of breaks down verse 17 a little bit further. When you look at kind of what he says there, if you look right along in your text, he says, not that I seek the gift, and then he parallels the idea to explain, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So he, he's putting those two ideas next to each other. So it's not about the gift, but I seek the fruit. So let's talk about what that is. I refer to it a little bit as like getting a yield because part of this idea is uh, two, two metaphors that are coming together. He's talking about kind of an agricultural thing, fruit, literally is what's there in the text, but it's also this idea of a monetary return. We sometimes would use the word yield, right? You can talk about, a, I yielded a bushel of tomatoes. I don't know who really says that, but you know, you could say that in theory. 
uh, from my backyard garden. I got a bushel of tomatoes, totally. It was a great yield this year. It works anyways. Uh, oftentimes, we use it as a financial term. We talk about the earnings we've received from an investment that, that are realized as part of our return. That's our yield or the real yield that comes out. When we think about that terminology, that best explains what Paul means by fruit here. There's kind of a dual concept that's happening. So Paul is saying he's not so absorbed on the gift part of this that the Philippians gave him more money and, hey, how about some more? The idea of the yield is this return on investment. They put money into the ministry, and there have been things coming about from that. So the gospel is shared when ministry goes forward, right? And sometimes that comes out in lives being changed, people growing, joining a church. There's never like a really perfect ROI with gospel ministry. It's not like you gave X dollars, you get X results. It's, it's not that clean of an equation, right? We are always doing the right work of loving people. Whether or not they receive that, believe, do anything, it's right and what God calls us to, to love people where they're at in whatever those circumstances are. We gospel people. Whether or not they ever believe, we're taking the time to explain with them. And that takes many times a long length of time to come to grips with that reality. We share that over and again. Give them safety to make those decisions. So there's not like this immediate return on your investment when you put money into gospel ministry. But sometimes you see that return visibly. And that's what's really exciting. When we put forth effort as a church to love a specific part of our community, when we give to a specific church plant, when we saw an individual that has been loved through a tangible expression that we've done come and their eyes are open and they believe and they come and they join our church, that's exciting. That's when we can see that investment played out in front of us. So Paul's saying there is that kind of fruit that we'll see. And that's part of what's caught up in this, this fruit that he's looking for. But it's not just that. He also emphasizes that there's a part of this for the giver themselves, that it increases to your credit. So there's this idea of the individuals understanding what God has asked them to give to. There's not like this ledger that's keeping track of what we give to and what we do and we're, we're racking up credit points. But the reality is that there is joy and there is life for a person who is giving with such focus to their local church that they can see those tangible return on investments that they're making. They're getting credit for that. They're receiving a reward in knowing that that's taking place. So Paul goes on then in verse 18 to basically say that the yield of the Philippians is so evident as well. He talks about um, being paid in full and that being evident to them. Uh, he says, I'm, uh, I have received full payment and more. The idea of this is it's almost like a receipt. Paul can see, the, Philippian, the Philippians can see that what they've given to is so visible to them. It's, it's like the bill has been paid in full. It's like it's there. It's, it's a bit of a metaphor, so it's not directly describing like an actual bill, of course. But it's this proof, this sign, this evidence to them that their money did something, that they've done that. And so he encourages the Philippians with that reality. Then there's finally one more thing that's happening within giving in the local church. And he says that at the end of verse 18, if you see it there, he says after that part about being well supplied, he received the gift from this dude named Epaphroditus. Then he says, the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. So the other thing that's happening, not only that we're getting this yield to us when we give to the church, but we're also worshiping in action when we give. Our worship is taking place through the giving. 
So Paul used commercial agricultural terms. Now he comes back into religious terms of the older covenant. And he describes what we do with giving as, as worship, act as a sacrifice. So these are the very same words that Paul uses in a familiar passage we might know from Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So when you hear those, those maybe familiar words, you maybe have heard those before, and then Paul is using them here. In Romans, he's describing the entirety of the Christian life as that type of level of worship. So everything we do in our lives is worship to God. Then now in Philippians, he takes that same terminology to highlight how giving is related to worship. Giving our money to the work of the church is an aspect of worship. Part of what is so significant about this is that worship in our day is often reduced to either just singing or at times just an attitude or an emotion that we have toward God. And those things are definitely true. But this is one of the things that we can tangibly do with our hands. So as you hop onto Giving Fire and press some buttons, look up that routing number again, or set up your ACH, or pull out your wallet, there's action involved in the physical movements, memory, making decisions. As you're doing that, that is worship to God. You are valuing God enough to give toward his work. So that's an exciting piece of that as well. So while we're just doing small things like giving of our, our finances to God, we're seeing a yield take place from that, and we're involved in worship. So there's one last area we want to look at together. What do we believe to be true when we give? And this is in verses 19 and 20. What are we recognizing to be true when we do give to these things? Verse 19 says, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So in these verses, Paul is telling us something to believe. So when we get, uh, give to these varied things that he's mentioned in the first verses, that we're getting this yield and we're participating in worship to God, but we're also believing two things to be true. First of all, from verse 19, the first half of that, we see that God's riches... Is what, is what meets our needs. God's riches meet our needs. Paul's been clear that his needs and the needs of gospel advancing work is happening because of the giving of the Philippian church. The needs here are not predominantly financial as an absolute promise here. So when God meets our needs, it's not just financial. God might not supply the funds you need to pay an electric bill. God may not help you get the funds needed for some other costs that you need. And that's a hard truth that God doesn't promise to always cover our bill just in the nick of time. But he certainly does it. He does it from time to time. We see him time and again do that for us. But it's not what the promise is here that he's making. This verse is very much related to the coffee cup verse we looked at last week. And Matt talked about verse 13, the all things, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The all things are the spiritual realities, the hopes that God has given to us and called us to, to do. We can do those. So this verse is also telling us our spiritual needs will always be met. Sometimes that might be through physical means, or sometimes that may be through a spiritual reminder. So what this looks like is, you know, God can put us in a circumstance where we are in physical need from time to time. There is a bill due, and we need to pay it. In those moments, God is 
is, is working in us to know of his love and care, to drive us in, in faith towards him so that we can trust in him. So then whether he provides tangibly for that or not, God is teaching us through that to give us what we need from his riches. Paul is also reminding us of a very important reality from these words. It's not that our riches are what supply the needs of the church. It's not that the Philippian church was so wealthy and had such great education that they had such great earning potential or they had such good old-fashioned work ethic that they were able to meet the needs of Paul and all of theirs for the church, yea, the Philippian church. No, Paul is reminding them in these words that it's God that meets the needs, both spiritually and physically. He does it out of his riches on display in the glory of Jesus Christ. So God is the one who gives everything, whether our paycheck, our overtime, our bonuses. It is God who gives us these things and also gives us perseverance and the gift of faith so that we can believe when times are challenging with job loss or a worldwide pandemic or the related impacts of these things, neither these spiritual nor physical riches are yours alone. They are God's riches to meet our needs as he sees fit. So then this brings Paul to verse 20, the very end there, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Paul begins to talk about God's value, his glory extolled. When Paul thinks about all this, he just kind of breaks it out into a spontaneous doxology. So God in his infinite wisdom and unmatched glory determined that for his church to be able to be funded, it needs to help those in trouble, partner for gospel advance, and meet the needs of its ministers that he'll give the people of the church riches, both physical and spiritual. And as the people of the church are, are given these riches, they're still not theirs to keep, but instead they're theirs to see the yield of that investment, to receive it back to themselves as well and see what is true. They also get to have that act of worship, a way to give. And this incredible and unbelievable truth that as, as they give joyfully and sacrificially to the church to meet the needs, It's God's riches that are really being used to meet the needs of the church. And so he does it by giving riches to the people of the church, that they can experience the joy of being a part of this. So it's a very interesting way that you'd go about it. If God has all the riches, wouldn't he just give it, you know, directly to the church and let the church just do it? There's some direct line there. That's not what God does. God chooses to involve us. He gives us that stewardship of money so that we get the opportunity to understand what the church needs and then distribute that to the church to do the work of the ministry. God lets us be a part of that. So as he gives us those finances, that's what he's calling us to do. And so after you understand what that is, you see why Paul just kind of goes, wow, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Like who would have thought of that? That's such an amazing way that God has brought about giving and ministry in the church. So as we close, we just look at some quick application. Uh, Three things. First of all, Evaluate what you're giving to. Are you giving to the right things? Is the money of the church going to those in trouble, partnering for gospel advance, meeting the needs of those doing the ministry? Are you in any way in your household giving to things that are contrary to the church? If so, then fix that. Have you been thoughtful about Seven Mile Road and what it's giving to and accomplishing with your funds so you can be receiving the joy of your giving? Secondly, consider what you're doing when you give. You know, that there is yield that comes from this. We can see that return on investment and also that we're in worship. So as we reflect on that, we think about the way that we have been graced. How do we not continue to give in light of that? There's no legalism, no equation per se, but as those who have received such grace, how do we not also then in our church give in a similar way, overabounding in grace and gratitude? 
And finally, the giving reflects our values. So we can take no pride in the number of dollars that we give, for God has given us the riches, both spiritually and physically. So we give knowing that he is always the one meeting our needs for his own glory. And it's also about an ultimate belief. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He said, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So at the heart of a Christian is showing a love for Jesus over the love of money. So while we all sin and struggle in this area at times, there's a need for us to recognize it's a simple thought. Do we love Jesus more than money? And if we need to turn and repent from that, that's what God calls us to. And if we're constantly cold and we only love money and can never think of giving to the church, then that's not a mark of a Christian. And we have to think about, is that where God needs to meet me? Bring me to repentance and faith. So with that, we see the three questions answered, kind of giving us a theology of Christian giving. That we give, we recognize that God is the one that supplies us to meet the church's needs. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this text uh, and the realization that you have given us so much, so much in Christ that we can receive and be changed in our lives, but God, also monetarily, as you've given to us that we can give to the church. God, I pray that we would be faithful in this, that you would cause us to reflect on what we're doing, why we're doing it. And God, this would bring from us a desire to give out of a greater love and gratitude for you and the work you've done for us doing more, resounding more in our church and our community. Amen.